This morning's reading comes from all over the book of Proverbs. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. You may be seated. And as you're seated, let's just ask the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of God's word. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, that uh, ultimately it is uh, you, the Holy Spirit, that, um, that, that brings life to the written word. Thank you so much for the written word that we have, the book of Proverbs. So much practical advice that we can glean from it, and we pray that uh, you would help that to be delivered with clarity today into the hearts of all of us here. Amen. Yeah, so the lot that I've drawn, the straw that I've drawn is the one that will uh, talk about money. And, uh, you know, I have to tell you that, um, my, as we know, money is all pervasive, right? Like you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't have possessions unless you have money. And uh, as I dip my toes a little bit into this whole study of um, Proverbs and, and money, um, I also look up through Google a little bit and just see what does the internet offer in terms of statistics and facts about wealth and poverty and wealth distribution, all that type of stuff. And, you know, there's just so many books that have been written on money and so many podcasts that have been prepared and, and, and seminars, right? And uh, the Tony Robbins seminars and on and on and on. There's, there's just so much that we're getting hit with it all the time. And I was somewhat overwhelmed, but at the same time, I, I was consoled because when you look into the book of Proverbs, like so much of that stuff that we hear it's distilled down into some very very practical and simple advice in the book of proverbs so we can be really thankful that we've got these sort of very short little verses we're going to hear a lot of them today and i think brett gave you a day off last sunday you didn't have to flip through your bibles to get to every verse so i'll give you a second week off today because there's a lot of them coming at you but uh, just let that be and uh, and uh, and we'll the faster we can get to the book of proverbs here and pass this introduction the the better i think because that's really where the practical simple advice is but in order to just set the table a little bit here for us you know we we, we may sort of wonder like do we belong into the wealthy class here in canada or do we belong into the poor class like where do we sit you know according to some of these statistical metrics that tell us how rich or how wealthy we are and proverbs 22 verse 2 that we read already it actually says well you're always going to have the rich and the poor. And it says the rich and the poor meet together. And the Lord is the maker of them all. And what that just reminds us of, of course, is that uh, the, it, it's not us that chose to be born into a country like Canada where you have abundant opportunity, right, to, to increase your, your possessions, increase wealth, enjoy a lot of things. Um, we didn't decide what family we we're going to be born into. You may be born to a family of wealth. You can be born to a family of poverty, right? We got... Those are things we don't have a choice over. You know, your, your, your giftings that you have, your natural giftings, your skill set, you know, that, that's something that comes from a divine hand and not just from us. You know, we have to work at it, of course, but there's all these factors. Your health, you don't know if you're going to live till 20 or if you're going to live till 80 and, and be able to increase, uh, you know, and, 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 and increase your, your, your possessions and your wealth, which is what the Proverbs talks a lot about. And so uh, there's this, you know, the Lord God is the maker of them all. But the purpose of putting that right out there at the outset as a sort of caption is um, it reminds us, it, it suggests the question, um, you know, where do we park ourselves actually here in Vancouver? Like what category do we fit into? Because we're going to hear a lot about the rich and the poor. So you want to know where you sit. Listen to a few of these stats here. Um, it says that 
if you have $61,000 in assets, you are amongst the wealthiest 10% in the world. Now, I appreciate that $61,000 here in Vancouver um, may not be very much when you think about having $61,000 in one of the third world countries, right? You know, you could be like close to, you'd be viewed as a millionaire perhaps, but here it's a little bit different. But nevertheless, you're in the top 10% of the um, world's wealth. Uh, if you own a house or a condo in Vancouver, I think it's safe to say, based on the research I did, that you're probably in the 1% or 2% of the wealthiest in the world when it comes to assets, ownership of assets, 1% to 2%. Now, of course, if it's mortgage right to the hilt, then that may skew that, right? <laughs> but uh, if you own that anywhere, sort of like half of that or even clear title, uh, you're, you're right there in that very, very top echelon of asset wealth uh, metrics. Um, another one here is, and this is the one I like best because you can talk about income, you know, income, $100,000 income or $50,000 income here in Vancouver is one thing. Um, and, uh, it's another thing to have that in a, in a third world country again, right? You'd be very wealthy there. Here it's, it's harder to get by on $50,000. Um, and so it's interesting, this metric here, if you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or apartment and have reasonably reliable means of transportation, you are amongst the top 15% in the world when it comes to wealth. So when we start hearing about rich and poor today in the Bible, like, uh, you know, you can slot yourself in where you like, and, and these, these metrics are very relative too, but it gives us some idea of where we sit here in the West. Just um, on another note here, um, on the giving stats side, did you know that the average tax filer in Canada gives 0.5% of their income? That's like one two hundredth. Um, and one in five show a donation on their tax return. Four and five show no donations on their tax return. And we're living in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Um, recently, I was together with um, a Jewish colleague of mine, and uh, we were having coffee together. And he says, yeah, you know, we get together, my wife and I, with a couple every, a couple of times a year. And um, they said, they're a Christian couple. And he knows I'm a Christian too. And he says, they give 10% of their income. Wow, he said, you know, he was just like so impressed. And, you know, if I had been a little bit faster in my thinking, I would have reminded him, you know, actually the Jewish scriptures, right? The Torah said 10% is sort of the starting point, right? <laughs> but I wasn't quite fast enough in my thinking. But nevertheless, there you have it. Um, you know, 0.5% is the average giving. As opposed to, let's say, call it an Old Testament benchmark. You don't have that New Testament. Uh, but Old Testament benchmark, 10%. Um, our American cousins, by the way, give three times as much as we do. Last year, apparently, they gave over $400 billion. We give about $10 billion here in Canada. Our population difference is they're about um, three times as large as we are, and yet they gave 40 times as much as we did. So that's, I'm sort of rounding down a bit even to get to only three times as much. But it's actually three to four times as much, it appears, uh, based on the statistics that I read. And just uh, for your interest's sake, perhaps by way of question, who do you think for 16 years running, what city for 16 years running is the most charitable city in all of Canada? Anybody want to guess? Very close by. Abbotsford, B.C., right? Which also happens to be, you know, we sometimes view that as a Bible belt of B.C., right? Which is actually a good testimony upon the Christians living there, right? There's a generosity that's flowing out of there, which is good. And we should rejoice in that. And, and, that, and that's great. So um, there are a little bit of background statistics. Bible facts. Um, when we look at the book of Proverbs, there's about 60 references to money, wealth, riches, what to do with it. 60. There's about 30 chapters, 31 chapters. They all have about 30 verses average. I'm a bit of a math geek. And that means about two chapters out of 31, two chapters out of 31, which is a lot actually, just talk about money and wealth. 
So it's a really important subject. Uh, the Gospel of Luke has a good 10 references to, uh, to, to teaching about money, mostly Jesus' teaching in that respect. And what I find very interesting is when you look at the, this sort of um, great uh, watershed moment in history when Christ came into the world preceded by John the Baptist, you ask yourself, what type of setting did he come into? And of course, John the Baptist, he plowed the ground ahead of Jesus, right? He prepared the way, it says. And when he was calling the people up for repentance, um, some of the, it says the crowds came up to him. They wanted to know, John was saying, you know, show fruits of repentance. I think it became a popular thing to get baptized by John. But he's saying, he actually called them a brood of vipers. He, he just recognized there's a lot of hypocrisy going on here too. People get maybe baptized and they don't really mean it. And so, they'd be, and so he's saying, you know, show fruits of repentance. And what he said to them then, or the, when the crowds came to him, they asked him, uh, well, what should we actually do? So there's a general crowd that came. And he said, if you have two tunics, in other words, if you have two garments, give one away. In other words, share, share, share. He talked about possessions. Second thing, the tax collectors, they came too. And they said, what, what should we do? They said, don't collect more tax than you're authorized to do so. Money, right? He's speaking of a money issue. First possessions and money. Third group that came along were the soldiers. And the soldiers, he says, to, they asked too, what should we do? Jesus says to them, don't extort money. Like, don't use your power to extort money. Be content with your wages. So it's possessions, money, money. That Jesus, that's the setting he came into. And that's what John the Baptist spoke into. And you ask yourself, if he came into North America today, if he came to Vancouver, what would the, what would the call for repentance consist of? Would it all center around money? And if we take that a step further, then Jesus, of course, he said in Luke chapter 16, 13, um, that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Like, it's such a stark contrast, too, right? Jesus puts a really fine point on it, right? And he says, you're going to either hate money, and you're going to love God, or you're going to despise the other God, and you're going to love money. Um, and so um, that's, that's, that's the sharp contrast that, that Jesus presented us with. And, you know, that can also lead us, I think, to a point where perhaps we're thinking, well, should we just hate money? Like, you know, any time we think about money possession, should it just be like, you know, abhorrent to us. And so we have to find some balance. And so just to bring a little bit of balance to it, let's look at First Timothy six seventeen two, where you have the word uh, Paul writing to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present, present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So underscore the last phrase there. God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We can enjoy the good things here that we enjoy. There's nothing wrong with that. God creates it for our enjoyment. So let that sort of anchor this whole message too, you know, and, and, and particularly Jesus' words, you know, this love of money versus love of God. Um, it, it's, um, it's a very stark decision we face in life, but at the same time, um, we shouldn't think that, you know, the good things God provides us with should also be despised and just pushed aside. And that puts us in a tension zone as Christians between heaven and earth. And uh, there's an old, um, there was a 17th century Puritan that, um, a quote that I heard many years ago once called John Cotton, it was his name. And he writes there, there is a combination of virtues strangely mixed in every lively, holy Christian, and that is diligence and worldly business and yet deadness to the world. And such a mystery that no one can read but they that know it. And so though he labor most diligently in his calling, Yet his heart is not set upon these things. 
So he's just talking about this tension zone we find ourselves in. You know, we don't want to love riches, right? But we have to deal with money. And, you know, it says set your heart not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. And here we are between heaven and earth, and we're getting pulled back and forth. And for those of us particularly who are in business, we have to earn a profit, right? It's about earning a profit. Otherwise, you go bankrupt. You go under. You don't exist. Um, it becomes a very, very, um, you know, strong magnetic field you're entering into sometimes. You know, getting pulled this way and getting pulled that way. And I'd say some of the toughest decisions over the last 40 years that I've had to make concern money and taxes and profit and all that, yeah? And where I've had sleepless nights sometimes and, and, and should you compromise certain values and, and on and on and on. It's a really difficult field that we're into, getting into here, particularly on the business side too. And, and yet, you know, God promises us grace and strength um, to, to, to navigate this, uh, this minefield, if you like. But it begins with, you know, where is our heart first set? Is it set on the love of money? Or is it set, is our priority in life God and the love of God? So we're going to simplify things this morning. Just look at, firstly, poor stewardship and the consequences of that. And then we'll look at good stewardship and the blessing associated with that. And at the very end, you know, where the rubber meets the road, you know, what should our Christian response be? to all this stuff that we read about in the book of Proverbs when it comes to the subject of wealth and, uh, and, and riches and earning money. Firstly, poor stewardship and consequences. First um, Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The first thing to know is like poor stewardship and, and love of money. That's where our, our, our hearts compasses moving towards if you like um there's just a minefield waiting out there for us there is there's snares and traps that's what the paul tells timothy there's snares and traps waiting for us and you know i know some of you may have some rat traps and some mouse traps and i know they had different traps back then but you know they did, when you when that animal that rodent just nibbles a little bit there then you know whack right just think of that thwack that's what's waiting for us if our heart is set on the love of money it's, it's really Clear language here, right? Um, snares and traps. And perhaps the first one that uh, is, um, is, is a sign that our heart may be tending that direction. We find in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 20, the second half there, whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. One of the first traps that out, is out there is you, want to, you love money, that's a big priority, and you want to get rich fast. That's one of those metrics, one of those little indicators that points, you know, where our heart may be leaning. If you find your heart wanting to get rich fast, you might want to check it out. <laughs> um, you, there's, there's so many things that offer us, you know, quick fix solutions to earning money quickly here nowadays, right? Um, you know, you hear the, you know, these quick get rich quick schemes, you know, that pop up in the internet and all over the place. You know, a classic one, of course, is even the whole area of gambling, right? Like, and, and it, you know, unfortunately, the unfortunate thing about the whole gambling industry, it really preys on those that are trying to get out of poverty and get out of poverty fast. It's a terrible thing, actually. And, 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 and so if your heart gets set on that, you know, that, that sort of hasty to get rich, right? That's a big driver behind wanting to get rich. Now, the wealthy may just use their play money for that, but, um, but there's many people, and it draw, draws many people into it, that can't afford it. Did you know that in Russia, for instance, in Moscow... In the big cities in Russia, you might not expect this from, from Russia, from what you hear through media, but in Russia, they actually banned all the casinos from the major cities outside the cities so the young people couldn't access them anymore. 
because they recognize the social threat, the social consequence of bringing the casinos into the city. And it offers this, you know, quick outlet to try and get rich. And before you know it, you know, the house always wins, right? So in the long term, we're not going to win. You, you may get lucky, lucky, lucky. But as a general population, we will never win because the house always wins. That's just the way it has to be. So they're in a profit. And, um, and it just draws in poor people. It draws in those that can least afford it to try and, you know, in, in, to, to try and quench that desire to get rich quick and get out of poverty quick. That's one trap that's set out there. And, uh, and, and we want to be mindful of that. Um, Proverbs 21.6, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. And we'll read Proverbs 17.23 right away too. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. Another trap that's laid out there, if you want to get rich quick, is you're going to want to cheat and to lie and to become dishonest. And there is so many traps along the way in business life and in everyday life um, that, that are laid out there for us that it's only by the grace of God that we can navigate that minefield. But uh, it says here in Proverbs, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue, it is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Back to that snare language, right? That trap language. It's waiting out there, seeking to ensnare us. So we want to be mindful of that. Now, let's just camp out on that for a moment. I'd like to um, suggest to you that um, I think it's easier, actually, to commit corporate fraud. Many of us work in offices, right? I'd like to suggest to you that it's easier to commit corporate fraud or a fraud in the office environment, steal in the office environment, if you like, than it is to take a $2 candy bar out of your local grocery store that is lifted or steal it. And what I mean by that is there's so many situations. Take, for instance, like sometimes we get contracts where they may say, well, you can spend up to $20,000 on this project here. Just keep your hours. And if you don't reach that limit, you know, you don't charge us, right? But just go hourly, hourly rates. And if you get up that amount, then um, that's the limit. Well, so often those situations, like, okay, and we've even spoken with clients sometimes that have said, you know, I don't know how we're going to fill that much. I know you're allotting us that much budget. I don't know how we're going to get there. And I've heard it with my own ears. Just, just backfill projects just, or just backfill your hours onto your timesheet, you know, take from other projects and just shove them in there. And who's going to know whether I, took, um, whether I put six hours in one day or whether I actually only put the two hours in that I actually worked in the project? It's just easy to do that. So it's, it's very easy to steal money in a corporate setting. Um, and, and I've witnessed it. And, and we've had clients, somebody wonder too, like, why are the only ones that aren't hitting the ceiling here? But, you know, the beautiful thing about that is engenders trust, right? Because they know who to trust. Because they know what's sort of par for the course out there. So, you know, this lying tongue, um, it, it, it manifests itself in the office environment. Now let's look at the more like, you know, personal environment. Um, was it 2015? You heard about the Panama Papers, right? The Panama Papers is where um, all of a sudden they, there was like millions of documents that were leaked to the public um, that pertained to wealthy people um, squirreling away their money in offshore tax havens. Now, as it turned out, a lot of it was actually legitimate too, but there was many that were found out there and caught, right? And I remember receiving some email correspondence back then too, not because I had a, <laughs> because I had a problem there, but... Someone just like contacted me and said, oh, you know, in righteous anger, you know, good that they finally found those people, you know. And remember when we go like this, right? We point that finger at the, 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 the uber rich, if you like, the, you know, that can put their money in tax havens. There's always three fingers pointing back towards us, right? It's a really healthy thing to do whenever in any matter you point the finger at somebody. It's three pointing back at us. In this case here, I said, you know what? What about a really fine-grained personal level? Like how many people actually don't declare all that cash that they get in from, you know, little earning here, little earning there, 
you know, are there any waiters or waitresses here today? You know, just... <laughs> if I enter, after I say this and I enter your restaurant next time, I'll know why the food comes late. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, actually, technically speaking, waiters and waitresses should declare their, their tips, right? So, you know, you get, and some waiters and waitresses get a lot. So you get five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars in tips. That should actually be declared on your income tax form. And yet, who's gonna, how are they gonna track that? It's a very difficult thing to track. But I'm just saying that these fine green levels, you know, you're paying cash, right? To avoid GST and to avoid paying income tax to people that are doing work for you and that. You know, these are all little, you know, at a much smaller level. Remember the Lord said, if you can't be faithful with small stuff, you're not gonna be faithful with the big stuff. So it begins with the small stuff. So when we do this to the wealthy, right, like that, just remember, let's look into our own hearts and see where our compass is pointing and taking us, yeah, in this fine green stuff. Um, are we also falling into traps and snares there? Um, you know, I love that quote, and it actually followed me around this week, what Brett put up last week from Bruce Waltke. The wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others, but the righteous disadvantage themselves to the advantage of others. You know, it's just a, a beautiful lens to look at this whole thing through. Like, am, am I looking to take advantage of other people in order to further my own advantage, you know? And I have to say, you know, I was sort of like, hey, am I doing that in this situation, in this situation? It's, it's, it's a great quote. And um, just apply that to, to your, you know, financial dealings too um, as you work, work through that whole subject. Um, Proverbs twenty eight twenty five. Here's another snare that's laid out for us. A greedy man stirs up strife. But the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. What I think that suggests a greedy man stirs up strife is you will find that people that want to get rich, if we want to get rich, if we love money, if that's really our object in life, we're going to be turning very often to argumentative people. And you'll cause a lot of strife. Another translation says it leads to dissension. You'll have broken relationships. There'll be people angry at you. There's just a lot of argumentation. And the interesting thing is, even in the early church there in, the, in Corinth, right, Paul had to tell the people there was people that were arguing, having financial disputes, and, and, and he was saying, isn't, you know, why do you take this to a secular judge? Isn't there a, a wise person amongst you that can sort of adjudicate this matter? But it's just that drive for, I want my part, I want my turf, and if that love of money drives you, um, you'll, you'll find yourself becoming an argumentative person. So that's a metric that's sort of popping up in your life. You know, you might want to check that out. Um, there's a great um, uh, phrase I heard once and it, uh, years ago. I wish I heard it right at the beginning of my business career. And it says, always leave something on the table. You ever heard that? Always leave something on the table. In other words, always, you know, if anything, let yourself be a little bit disadvantaged to the advantage of the other person. It, it's a wonderful sort of like um, adage, if you like, that, that, that can follow us through, through, through life in, in all the negotiations we have to do, particularly in business and non-business um, that and, and that verse that we just read there, it says, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. You see, if you know that it's the Lord that's ultimately enriching you, you don't have to be worried about giving a little bit extra away, right? Yeah, you don't want to be taken advantage of, but if that's where your ultimate hope is, that he's going to enrich you, you can live by that saying, leave a little bit on the table. So it's, it's, it's a really a wonderful table. Um, stinginess, Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-two. Um, a sign of poor stewardship is a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Stinginess, hoarding money, it's another one of those little signs that indicates you know, where a heart is, is, is pointing towards. Proverbs twenty eleven: a, right, a rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. A rich man is wise in his own eyes. Like there's one companion that on the road to love of money will want to join you very quickly. 
and that's arrogance. A rich man is wise in his own eyes. You know, you heard that term, the self-made man, right? Yeah, that guy's rich. He's a self-made man. He started off like in the streets of some third world country, and he made it all the way up to the top, yeah? Self-made man. You can start becoming wise in your own eyes, and arrogance is very quickly willing to join you on the path to, uh, to, to riches. And uh, it's just, just the fact of life. And the last one, Proverbs 23, 4, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough discerning enough to desist. It's very easy. Another snare out there, you become a workaholic, right? You begin to overwork. It says, be discerning enough to desist and know when to call it a day. Now, when you're starting a business and there's certain times, even in, in, in work life, where you just have to be very busy and, and, and you just hit like the shoot, so to speak, you know, and you just got to head down, push through, and it's going to mean extra hours, right? But if that becomes the general rule, the all-time rule, you know, it applies to day in, day out, week in, week out, year after year, it becomes a problem and things begin to suffer. So there you have some of the, you know, metrics or indicators of poor stewardship. Um, and just to round that off before we sort of get to the brighter side of all this money subject here, um, look, at the, look at the consequences that we face here. Proverbs 28, verse 20 and 27. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. And whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. So we've got punishment, we've got curse. And then Proverbs 20, verse 17 Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be full of gravel. You ever let that wash through your mind? Like, what would it be like to have a mouth full of gravel? Like, this is awful, right? So you got punishment, the word punishment. you got the word curse. And you got the word full of gravel. Like, that's really bad. Like, why would we want to fall in love with money if that's the consequences, right? But that's just fresh right out of the book of Proverbs. Um, another thing is Proverbs 21.13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. So your prayers, our prayers won't be answered if we're being poor stewards here on this side of the ledger, right? As opposed to good stewards. You know, unanswered prayers, wouldn't we want our prayers to be answered? Especially when we're in need and in trouble and difficulty? And it says that's going to get capped off if, uh, if, if, if you're stingy. It's particularly relating to stinginess here right now and hoarding wealth. The worst of all, the, the worst consequence of all, we find in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Like to lose the precious faith that we have in Jesus Christ on the altar of money is really, really sad. It's the most devastating consequence. And Paul says that has happened. You know, he wrote to Timothy another point, another case there. I don't know, it was just money related or exactly what it was. But he says, and Demas, having fallen, having, having loved this world, Demas has served with him. Demas, having loved this world, has left me. And Paul was all deserted. Love of money can lead to shipwreck in the faith. And that's the most tragic consequence of all that we want to be aware of that lies out there in wait for us. So the bottom line is, um, you know, we, we don't want to. We don't want to harm ourselves, right? And you do a lot of harm to yourself. We do a lot of harm to ourselves if we fall in love with money. So um, that's um, so the darker side of things. But let's look at the brighter side here. Good stewardship. What does that look like? And what are the blessings associated with it? Firstly, um, Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. 
By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Like, uh, by wisdom, a house is built. You know, to build a house, it, it's complicated. Like, we're building an office building right now, and, and I did not know when we got into this one here. We did one many years ago, and we're building another one here. How complex and difficult. But I tell you, the most wonderful thing that I've experienced this whole process is, like, I have a partner that we're, we're, we're building this with, and, like, if he's not prompting me, every time there's a, a roadblock, a difficult decision, frustration, whatever, you know, um, things going so slow, He's either saying, Paul, let's just pray about this too. Or I'm probably, Ben, we've got to pray about this thing here. It is the most wonderful thing to join hands and ask God for wisdom. Because wisdom, when you build a house, when you undertake anything, and in, even in the pursuit of you know, um, work and, and profit and all that, first and foremost, we need godly wisdom into all the myriad of decisions that we have to make. Sure, you can get through those without consulting God at all. But the godly wisdom, the, the best way to go forward... And, and to have that promise, right, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom is what we heard a couple of weeks ago. And then in James 1, 5, of course, whoever asks for wisdom, let him ask by faith, and God will always give generously, right? Isn't it wonderful that we as Christians can have access to this source of wisdom that can lead and guide us in all these difficult decisions as we build our house, um, as we build whatever we're building, or as we, you know, build our, our, our as we work, period. And, and, and knowing that uh, the promise is that if this is the way with God's wisdom we build, then our rooms will be filled with precious and pleasant riches. Um, so wisdom is the key to it all. Um, asking God for wisdom. Uh, good stewardship also. Uh, Proverbs 13.11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. This is really good advice here. This is as practical as you get. Like, slow and steady does it. We've all heard that, right? Slow and steady does it. You rush into, you know, getting wealthy and rich. That, you know, we're often misled by, even particularly with the, you know, we live in the tech age, right? And 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 we hear about these, um, you know. I remember one architect telling me, yeah, you know, Paul. He says there was just two and a half thousand instant millionaires here in San Francisco when when Facebook went public. You know, all these millionaires, right? You know, and that hits the front page of the newspaper. You think, ah, oh, you know, if only I was that person, right? And, and, and it's so tempting to want to get in that fast track. You know, I wish I was one of them, right? That's not the rule. That is an exception. So let's not be less misled by the media talking about all these sensationalist stories about to get rich fast. That's not the normal way. It's slow and steady, and that's what Proverbs says here, right? Um, he who gathers little by little, they'll increase it. And the wonderful thing is, uh, the Holy Spirit indwelling us as Christians, you know, you have self-control, right? What's the other one there? Patience, right? You need patience to think short-term pain for long-term gain. You just need to be really, really patient. You need to be able to control yourself. And we have that in abundance, you know, working out through us, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? So we're, we're really privileged that way. So slow and steady does it. Um, the third thing is uh, Proverbs 21.6, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. There's a universal rule. This isn't anything new. But hard work does it, right? You work hard, and normally you'll be able to pay for what you have to pay for. And you may even, Lord willing, accumulate, begin to accumulate some wealth. Even if you're generous at the same time, which you should be, right? But hard work, there's no substitution for hard work. Um, there's a saying that I heard from a mother many years ago. It comes with a German. I'll give you a rough English translation, but it's very simple. Virtue like application of virtue, 
leads to wealth. Like hard work, honesty, you know, patience, all those virtues, you know, that also are worked in us by the Holy Spirit. It just, it just leads to increase. It leads to increase. This is it's a, just a normal, normal thing. However, the danger is then virtue, that, that, then virtue leads to wealth, and then wealth devours the virtues. That's the conundrum of life, right? Virtue leads to wealth, and then we're in danger of the wealth devouring the virtue. And so, um, you know, slow and steady does it. The last point is generosity, and let's dip into Psalms for this one here. Psalm thirty-seven, twenty-one: The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. The righteous is generous and gives. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, too, is just generosity. And good stewardship is just a hallmark of good stewardship that, we are, that we're generous. And so um, there's, there's, there's some of the indicators, the metrics that d- define good stewardship. Let's look at the blessings that are associated with good stewardship. Um, Proverbs 22, verse 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. Whoever has a interesting way of putting it, right? Whoever has a bountiful eye, you're looking for places where you can share, share, share. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Your vats will be bursting with wine. You'll always have enough, right? It's just, it's just plain down-home wisdom coming to us and promise coming to us. From the book of Proverbs, I had a father-in-law who was, um, you know, by, by no means earned a whole lot of money. Um, he ran a laid linoleum floors and arborite countertops just himself, working for himself. But I was always amazed. He was always steady and regular and faithful in his giving. And he always had enough for vacation, little modest vacation for the family. Always had enough, never complained, was thoroughly content. And even at the end of that, even though he had minim- minimal income coming, he was still able to helped three of his sons-in-law with deposits for houses, with down payment for a house. A small amount back then, you needed much less, right? But he was in a position where he could do that. And it, for me, it was a, you don't have to be rich, rich, rich. It's talking about your vats will always be full of wine. For him, it would have probably meant vats full of grape juice because he didn't think it was good to drink wine. <laughs> but but uh, it's just for me, that was a wonderful example. And, and that's the general rule. If you work hard, diligently, honestly, you know, you, you will increase. You will increase. You save a little bit and that. Uh, but I'd also want to mention that there, there are exceptions. And there's times come, for instance, in the life of Job where God tests us. Is it love of money or is it love of God? And we may take something away from us. Or there may be a threat of something being taken away from us. And I've had issues also in my engineering career where things have happened out there. And I thought, if this thing actually had happened, like or in the process of working through some difficult situation, if, if this really turns out as bad as it could turn out, I can take my shingle down and my career is over and I've lost everything. And you know what? I've learned to invite those type of situations or welcome them when they actually come, as difficult as it is, and say, Lord, you just want to just make sure my compass dial is heading in the right direction. I'm not hanging on to the earthly things here. So don't necessarily push those things away. Um, I, I also have before me, you know, all the time, uh, my grandfather, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, who were German people in Russia, um, during the Russian Revolution, they lost everything. They had a factory, they were wealthy, they lost everything, and came here with their shirt on their back. And they were sharing people, they were generous people, they were godly people, they were evangelizing people, all those metrics, good stewardship, all there. Left money in the till, even, when he had to flee, so the workers would still be paid out instead of taking it all with them. And so, 
you do have the exceptional cases where God tests us. He may, we may take something away from us. The rich young ruler, he asked them, he said, I've kept all the commandments that you wanted me, Jesus. And he says, I want your, I want your money. And it says that he walked away very sad. Very sad, yeah. So, yeah. Um, the nice thing about the blessings that come when it's the Lord blessing us is Proverbs 10.22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no trouble to it. And this is a key one. Like, there's the righteous and there's the wicked, right? And the wicked may get very wealthy, and the righteous may accumulate wealth too. But the difference, one big difference is, there's no trouble associated with it. You see, if you have a lying tongue, as the proverb would say, and you're earning your income by cheating and, 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 and taking advantage of the people, you know, what's that verse I think you read last week too? The, the, the wicked flees and nobody's chasing them. You see, if you've done bad business out there and there's broken relationships, you may be wondering, like, you know, even though they may not be coming after you, are those people going to come after me someday again? You pay a bribe somewhere, somewhere and boy, you've really given your, your hand over to, to the dark side because that can come back and haunt you as it has haunted many people in the past. And so um, the beautiful thing about the Lord's blessing is as we go about doing things the right way, you know, we can sleep in peace, right? Because we don't have, we're not afraid about people chasing us. You know, and, and, and even if it was taken away from us, that's not what our heart is set on. So the, the blessing of the Lord, um, it makes rich and it adds no trouble to it. You don't have to have a bad conscience. And, and, and you know, we do stumble too at times and we do things wrong at times too. But we can also repent of those and ask forgiveness. And sometimes we have to make things good again, right? Um, and repair a relationship. But that's the, that's the Christian approach where we love God before we, and, and, and not money. Um, a third blessing here. Let's go back to Psalms. Psalm 37, 25, and 26. I've been young and now I am old. I like this one. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. There's blessings that will flow into your, to your children and to your children's children as you give generously and as you go about earning your money the right way. It's just, and his children become a blessing. Isn't that wonderful? I was talking with a mother the other day, and um, she was telling me how she had to um, care for her mother-in-law when she was um, nearing death. So this mother took her mother-in-law into her home for six months, cared for her, and all the difficult things with having to care, you know, for somebody as they're dying. And at some point, the mother-in-law said, hey, um, I'd like to pay you some money here just for having taken care of me. She didn't have a whole lot, you know, there, but so I'd like to just give you some, some money. And this mother said to the grandmother, to, to, to the mother-in-law, sorry, he said, I don't want your money. I want your blessing. Could you pray a prayer of blessing over me? And the mother-in-law was somewhat, a little bit taken aback, I guess, and let me think about a few days. So the mother went back to the mother-in-law a little while later again and said, hey, have you thought about it yet? And she says, yeah, I'm, it's coming. And then sometime later, the mother-in-law said, I'm ready to bless you now. And the mother said she prayed a powerful prayer of blessing over me. And I know that blessing didn't just apply to me. It was filled with scripture. It was filled with songs, other blessings, words of blessing. And I know that blessing didn't, didn't just apply to me, but it applied to the children and to the next children, the grandchildren. 
See, there's sort of, is it going to be money or is it going to be the blessing? And there's a beautiful verse in, in Luke chapter 16, verse 11. If you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, like in that worldly wealth, if we're not being faithful in that, then it says, who will entrust to you the true riches? Who will entrust to you the, the real riches? You see, it's not about money. It, it, you know, your, your vat's all full, right? The, the money blessings are the least part of it. You want the, we want the spiritual blessings. Now, what, what may that look like, the spiritual blessings? You know, it may be like, like wisdom into the things of God, knowledge of the things of God. That, that, that is so much more beautiful than money. Um, you may be talking about, like, you know, faith, like the faith to do great things for God and, and to step up by faith, you know, and help other people. Um, it, it, it's the, you know, good relationships with people. This is a wonderful blessing. Good relationships and family. That's what we ultimately want to strive for. So um, seek out the true riches is what the Lord was encouraging us to do. So there you have the blessings, you know, that rest upon good stewardship. And in closing, let's just look at, you know, what should our Christian response be to all of this? Well, some of it has already manifested itself, if you like. But First uh, Timothy 6, 6 and 8, 6 to 8. Um, let's learn to be content. For it says there, But godliness with contentment is great gain. But we have, we have food and clothing. With these things, let us be content. You know, contentment is a thing that actually has to be learned. Paul said another, another occasion, he says, I have learned to be content with plenty and with little. It's a learning process. I'm still learning it too at my age. And so, um, but there's this, this direction in life where you say, I will be content. And I don't want to fall. I will not fall in love with riches. That may require like, uh, you know, like John the Baptist said, repentance time. Where we, you know, truly assess, you know, where, the, what, what track we're on. Say, Lord, help correct my direction in my life and work in my heart because I want to love you more than I want to love the riches of this world and, and, and money. And so, um, you know, learning to be content is, um, is, is the direction that we want to learn to go in. You know, it's, it's so tempting, like, ah, if only I get my mortgage paid off, then I'm going to be happy. If only I get my car loan paid off, right, then I'm going to be really happy. You know, it's always a little bit more, a little bit more. If only I can save this much money, then it's going to be set. I'm going to be okay. Just get away from that lie is my best advice to you. You will not be happier. If you can't be content today, we will not be happy tomorrow or content tomorrow. So it starts now um, as opposed to thinking that ah, it's just around the corner. It's, it's such a lie of Satan. Yeah, you want to be mindful of that. First um, Timothy six seventeen eighteen. 18, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud, right? nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So there's two things that come out there. Just as you accumulate wealth or possessions, just acknowledge that it came from God. Like, don't become arrogant. Just remember, it came from God. And secondly, uh, it's a share, share, share. That's what he told the rich people. Just, just share. That's the best antidote, the best anti- antibiotic against falling in love with money. Just share, share, share. It's a wonderful thing to do. And if you have difficulty with that, like just look to Christ's example and what he left behind. The riches of glory and descend in this world to save us, right? He gave up. He gave up immense a wealth and riches and glory and honor with Christ and suffered that shame, right? That's our example. And, and consider also when it comes to giving, you might want to consider, like, try to expand your giving. 
You know, like Rick Warren, if you hear his uh, interview, you can hear it on a podcast, uh, 40 years of ministry. And he talks about how very early on he set as a goal, he was going to give 1% extra per year. I've heard that said by others too. But 1% extra per year. He started with 10%. And that was before he had learned, earned lots of money there with, um, with his books and that type of thing. And he stuck to that 1% extra per year. And uh, it's just a wonderful example, right? Of someone who had limited income back then, but he made the decision. Now, if you embark in that type of direction or whatever you decide, how would I expand your giving? Like, you know, count the cost. You know, remember where it might go. But trust God that he can enrich you, you know, way beyond what you ever give. You can never outgive God. And um, I'll close with, can I take two minutes, Brett? <laughs> I'll close with one of my favorite Bible examples, characters. Um, Joseph of Arimathea. It was said of Joseph of Arimathea, who lived at the time of Jesus, that he was a wealthy man. He is rich. He was also a member of the Council of Jews. So he was, like, respected. He had some power. He had some authority. And he owned a grave. And it says, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. It says he was a good and upright man. So he was being a good steward and doing all that. And what I'm moving towards here is be, be ready for special prompts when it comes to giving, that type of thing. Because Joseph, at some point, God must have, by his, by his spirit, just warmed his heart and said, now, Joseph, I want you to step out when it's the most unpopular thing to do. All the disciples were behind locked doors, right? Afraid to show themselves. They're afraid what might happen now. This was a disaster in their mind. You know, Jesus died now. We were following him for three years. And Joseph, he goes to Pilate. He asks for the body of Jesus. And he gives up his grave there and says, he puts Jesus' body in the grave there. Does it? when it's the most unpopular thing to do. And he's wealthy. All his money could have been staked, his reputation could have been staked, and he still obeyed God's prompt, and he gave up his grave. Of course, the beautiful thing about that all is, he got it all back, right? <laughs> Three days later, he got it all back again. <laughs> but that's how it is. That's, that's how it is when it comes to giving, right? Like, <laughs> it, it comes back in ways you never expect. And so just let that be an encouragement to us. Um, you know, Joseph Arimathea, right? Um, we can have possessions here in this Western world. God placed us in this part of the world here. gave us an opportunity to come here. Um, let's be good stewards and enjoy the blessings that he gives and, and, and just share, 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 right? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.